The Apostle Paul, who had landed, who'd shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Here's Paul. He's shipwrecked. And, and he, he's there. He had had a plan to go uh, someplace else that didn't work out. He's shipwrecked. He finds himself here on Malta. And as he's there, the people of Malta began to uh, uh, see this guy who's shipwrecked. And they think, wow, the, the gods must be after him. He must be a terrible person. Because of what happened to him. And, and so, you know, he makes it. He, he lives through this. And you can kind of see the, the, the natives coming out of the, of the, the woods here. And they come out and, and they see this guy who's, who's shipwrecked. And the Bible says that he gets a snake bite in that moment. Talk about a bad day, right? Now, if this is a rat bite, I'm telling you what, I'd be running like, like, like crazy. But uh, it, was, it was a snake bite. And so Paul was a, was a man. Paul is so manly, he can handle this. But uh, Paul has a snake, you know, on the end of his hand, and these guys say, okay, well, this guy must be really terrible because uh, he, he lived through the shipwreck, but now he has a snake bite. The, the small g gods, they, they, they finished him off. And as they watch him, as he continues to live, and as he continues to not die as a result of the snake bite, uh, they change their tune. And they begin to think, well, maybe he's not... A bad guy who is, you know, who is, that gods are angry at. Maybe he is a god. And so the, they, they change their tune. And so what the Bible says is that they take Paul and his party to their leader. And the leader puts them up at his house. And he goes there as this honored guest all of a sudden. And he has food. He has shelter. And it'd be pretty great, right? So you can see here, this is a picture from the island of Malta. How many of y'all would love to be there right now? Anyone's out there like, that's right, man. I'll send me to Malta. I'll shipwreck if I have to, but I'll go there. Uh, that's the place that Paul went to. This is actually a picture from Malta. Pretty, pretty beautiful place. Now here's Paul. Paul has been preaching for, for years. He is probably tired. He is probably uh, a little bit, you know, at the edge. He has struggled. He's been imprisoned. He's Hell, his problems, there's all these things happening to him. And here he finds himself, you know, on the island of Malta. And it's this beautiful place. You know, you might think, man, a little, little R&R, a little vacation, you know, might do me a little good. You know, I'll just kind of kick back and enjoy the, the you know, my, uh, the, some, some food and some shelter. I got a little vacation, maybe hang out on the beach, read a book, you know, listen to some music or whatever. No, that, does Paul do that? No, Paul, you read there. Paul is always, always, always on mission. Even when things don't go how he plans, Paul is looking for ways to bridge the gap between God and people. You find here in the book of Acts chapter 28 that Paul, uh, though he is there, though he is shipwrecked, though things didn't work out as plans, Paul sees an, an, an inn with this person, with this man, this leader who has a, 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 sick, a sick family member. And, and the Bible says that he prays over this guy and he bridges the gate between Publius and God. This guy's name, how, it's a great name, right? Publius. How, it's my, my, my next kid, that, Publius. But, uh, you know, he, he finds this way to bridge the gap because Paul is always finding ways to bridge the gap. This is what Paul does. Throughout his ministry, and really the last half of Acts 13 to the end here in 28, is really very similar than the whole thing. You may have said, 
man, we, we, we went slow through the first chapters, and now we're like speeding through the last chapters. And the reason is because they're about Paul, who went to a city, who preached the gospel. Sometimes he was accepted, sometimes he was rejected, uh, but he always was doing the same thing. Always trying to find a way to bridge the gap between God and people. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it didn't matter. Paul was always on mission in this place. And so here we have the very end of the, uh, the book of Acts, the end of the spot here. Let's pick it up in, in chapter uh, 28, verse 30. It says, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is in Rome under house arrest because he's preaching the gospel. Okay, that's how he got himself there. That's how he was there. He didn't rub a bank. He was there because he preached the gospel. And so here, he's still doing it. Still preaching. And the, and the last words here, and no one tried to stop him. Now, if this was a movie... It would fade to black, and the credits would start rolling, and you'd have the key grips called, and you'd have all the stuff. There are key grips, by the way, in movies. That's a small, small factor there, but I always notice those guys. But the, the, the credits start rolling, and it starts going through. It's end of story. That's it. Now, i got to be honest with you. As I read that last scripture there, I think, that's it? Paul and, 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 and Barnabas and James and Peter and all of these men of faith, they continue to build and build and build and the church builds. And it's exciting. And you get the feeling that throughout all of the book of Acts, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. It's so great and so exciting. It builds up this moment. All of a sudden, bam, stops. This is, all, this is how this book ends. It's finished. That's it. Roll credits. A couple years ago, I was really involved in a TV series called 24. And 24 was my vein, man. It was just, it was awful because I was so involved in it. And so when it came on, I would make sure Monday nights when it was on, I was not doing anything. I literally changed uh, schedules and plans to be home at 24. I know it's sad. It is. I agree. <laughs> admit it. It's not how you want to live your life. I-, I did. And the reason was, was because it was such a cliffhanger series. Every time an episode stopped, it was like, <gasps> you know, it was like, you've got to be kidding. That's how it stops? That's where it's going to go? It would leave answers. It would leave open-ended questions and all of this stuff. And I was like, come on. You know, I can't wait for next week. There was a, a point, actually, where I'd watched a previous series on, of 24, and someone gave me the, the DVDs, and I was so involved because there were so many cliffhangers that I binge-watched the entire series. And I think I think front people for doing that, okay? I, I do. Guess what? I did it myself. And I watched the entire series, 24 episodes, in one weekend. That's like 24 hours of TV. Wow, what I'm, that's, that's wrong. You know, and I did it because it is full of cliffhangers. Here in this right here, the scripture here is in a similar way. This is left us at a cliffhanger. What's going to happen? What's going to, what's going to take place? And it introduces no new figure. It doesn't tell us, man, this person was now rose into leadership. It doesn't tell us how Paul died. It doesn't give us all those details. It's like builds, 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 and then bam. And no one tried to stop him. And that, that was it. Now, why is that? Why, why would it end like this? Why would this incredibly exciting book, why would it end like this? And I... 
believe, and this is my thoughts, okay, don't, don't, this is not, you know, anything else, this is my thoughts, but I believe that it ends this way because Acts 29 has not yet been written at this point. Now, some of you guys are reading your Bible, you're like, oh, I stumped the pastor because Pastor Steve, there's no Acts 29, so I got you, man, you're wrong. And, and the, 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 the truth to say is, that's the point. The book, or the, the, the chapter of Acts 29, or 30, or 31, or 32, and subsequent chapters, at this point, had not yet been written. Because the, the book of Acts is a story, it is a, it's a chronological story of how the church did what Jesus called them to do. How they went out to make disciples of all nations. That was the call. This is what happened when the, the, the baton was in their hands. And now, church, the baton is in our hands. The book of Acts is not ended. It's not finished. It's not through. The, the book of Acts is not merely just a, a book about what happened back 2,000 years ago. The book of Acts is a call to you and a call to I to take Jesus' challenge to go into the world, to preach the gospel, make disciples. The, the baton went through their hands as they did what they did, as God used them, as God ministered to them, as God challenged them, that The baton was in their hands, and now Acts 29 says the baton is now in your hands and in my hands. The question today is what will we do with the baton? What will we do with the baton? How is it going to happen here? You see, the the, the reality of this this today, the church, is, is this, is that God has placed that in our hands, but has shown us through Acts some important things that the the reason why they were so able and so successful with the baton was they had some guiding principles that they did. And that's where we're going to camp on most of the day today. Three things, and there's more, and that's where it was hard for me. Man, I had a... I had a much longer message today. Aren't you glad that I have a sense about that? No, I had a much longer message. I said, God, I need a couple things that are the most important, most, most biggest themes and acts. That's what I want to focus on today. Why were they so successful with the baton? This is the reason. Number one was the Holy Spirit was the key to running well. The Holy Spirit was the key to running well. Out in the parking lot, I've got a truck. It's a big truck. Well, okay, it's, you know, not, it's bigger than the Prius, okay? So, you know, it's, it's a big truck. Uh, it's, got, it's got potential. It's got possibility. I got a box in there. Uh, it's got a big V8 engine. It sucks a lot of gas down. It's got a lot of possibility. I, I, I like my truck. It's a good thing. It can do a lot of great things, but yet, here's the deal. My truck remains merely just potential unless this tiny little few ounce piece of metal is taken out of my, my pocket and put into the ignition. My truck remains potential until this comes out. So you see, church, this is the deal. Paul, Peter, James, all of these men of the, of, of the book of Acts, They had potential. They had possibility. They had a call from Jesus to go. They had all of these things, and those things would have stayed potential had not the key of the Holy Spirit come out and was placed in their lives. They realized something that, man, we have to get, and it's so powerful. The Holy Spirit was the key for this to happen in their lives. 
The Holy Spirit was the key. You see, from the start, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the very utter ends of the earth. I've mentioned this scripture about every single week so far this message because this is the key. Now notice, too, the scripture here. It's not a, a this-time thing. This is a, a forward verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And you will do this. And you will do that. You see, at this point in Acts, they are still waiting for the key to happen. They are still sitting and living in potential. But yet God knew what he was doing. God pulled out the keys, placed it in their hearts. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they're, they're meeting together in one place, praying, seeking God's face. And he came and filled Filled them with the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in, other, in, in, in tongues. And that moment was huge for the church to move from potential to what God had for it to be. You see, church, the same Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, lives inside of you and of me when we are filled with the Spirit. It's truth. It says right here today, the same Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give to your life, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. You may have heard God's call. You may have sensed God's promise. You may have sensed these things. And you may feel, man, all it is is potential. I, I heard that. My mom actually heard that lots when I was a kid. Steve's got great potential. You know, I, I saw those in all my things. Steve's got great potential. I hated that. You know why? I, I just did. Maybe you heard those things too. The potential stays there. You might, you might feel that you're still living in your potential, but not in what God's called you to. And I want to tell you, follow the leading of the Acts Church and learn that the Holy Spirit is the key to that, to changing that, to doing what God has called you to do. God is calling spirit-filled believers to stand up and to live like he's called us to and let, allow him to minister and work through us. Here's some examples from Acts. Number one, uh, when Peter and John left prison. Peter and John had a call. Many of us have a call. We know we do. I've talked to you, say, I feel God's calling me to do this, or God's calling me to this, or, or whatever it might be. You, you feel that, you sense that, but yet you still understand it is not happening yet. Peter and John were there as well. Check out Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 29, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your words. We preached about this a few weeks back. Saul and, and I'm sorry, Peter, uh, Peter and, and John right here in this, in this place. Man, they were in prison. They, 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 they had been there. God, give us boldness in, in preaching your word. Now skip down to verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. They filled the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Peter and John got it. They were strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want boldness? You want these things from God? You understand you need those things. Well, it starts right here, the key of the Holy Spirit. Number two today, uh, the, it, the Holy Spirit helped them to make big decisions. I'm sorry, number, number two is, is the Holy Spirit was, was there present at the end of Stephen's life. Stephen had a need. Stephen, as you remember, was a, a deacon who was called 
to, uh, to help out with the, the church and help out with the, the widows, but he didn't stop there. He preached the gospel, uh, got him in trouble. Uh, Stephen was, was uh, put on a mock trial, arrested, put on a mock trial, and he was stoned, uh, the other kind of stone. He was stoned for what he, what he had done. And so Stephen was here at the end of his life in a very, very difficult situation. Listen to what it says right here, Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing on the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. In a place of difficulty, in a place where things were, were not the way that they, he would want them to be, uh, it's probably an understatement. At that moment, at that time, at that place, the Holy Spirit gives guidance, and, or gives, the Holy Spirit gives, gives peace and gives a vision in that moment when he needed it. You take out full of the Holy Spirit out of verse 55, you do not have the rest of the story. Why do you try to do life and ministry Without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. These guys got that. Number three, the Spirit helped them make, make big decisions. In Acts 13, uh, the church was moving forward based on this moment. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, which is an interesting detail there. Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Antipas, and Saul. One, of the, one day as these men were just worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the work of the Lord I've called them to. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way, and the rest is history. From that moment forward, Paul and Barnabas went out throughout the entire area, and that's when they planted the churches. Had the church not at that moment listened and was keen to the Holy Spirit's voice, man, I don't know what would have happened. Thankfully, we don't have to know because that's what it was. They understood that the church was dependent upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so is ours. Without the the Holy Spirit leading us and without us listening to his voice, we are in the same position as they would have been had they not. Now, in regards to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if you ask if you ask a hundred Christians about the Holy Spirit, you might very possibly get a hundred different responses. You know, and we're going to do a class on this this winter with uh, Joella Hagen is going to do a class on the Holy Spirit and listening to the voice and some really good, solid, biblical teaching. And I'm excited about that. But just a couple things here because uh, there's a lot of things about the Holy Spirit we don't understand very well. And the reality is, is that we're tempted, especially as Pentecostals, to live our lives based on feeling rather than, than be driven by truth. And that is just not the way it's supposed to be, even with the Spirit. You see, people can have one or two responses. The first one, they can, they can tend to minimize the Spirit. It feels like, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is a spirit, you know. We think, well, it sounds kind of spooky or sounds kind of strange or I don't want to be one of those chandelier, drag, waving, you know, Holy Ghost hopping, whatever you call it, Pentecostals. I don't want that to be, be the case for my life. And guess what? You're in good company. I don't either. I don't want to just live my life just based on how I feel about the Spirit. I want to live based on truth. But you cannot deny the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding in Scripture and causing people to step up and step out and do some things that they call God placed upon their lives. We cannot minimize the power and influence of the Spirit. 
Number two, we're going to swing swing the exact opposite way. And rather than minimize the Spirit, we can put the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, above his role, which is clear in Scripture. The Scriptures teach us that Jesus, the Scriptures teach us, let's just get there here, John 14, 26, the Spirit is always leading us to Jesus. When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I have told you. I have met people who claim to be spirit-filled believers who do not live as if this is true. I've met spirit-filled believers that tell me things like, for instance, and these are actual real-life things, I heard someone say one time, I think the Holy Spirit's teaching me or telling me that I need to go, I need to go have an affair with somebody else. Honest to goodness truth. I heard that from somebody. I've heard people say the Spirit's leading me to steal something. I've heard that before. You know, I've heard all kinds of craziness that the Spirit is telling me to do this. And guess what? They are always in error. You can know that because of what the Scriptures teach us. You can know that because the Scripture gives us a clear understanding of the role and the person, the job of the Spirit. A couple things here that I want to just quickly go through. Man, this, is, this could take us a whole series in itself, and it might someday. I'm going to talk a little bit about if the Holy Spirit's leading you. You know, when, when you may re- realize that you got this feeling in your gut, it's not just bad tacos you had last night, but, you know, the Spirit is leading you. How do you know what's, what's happening? There are some things in Scripture that are very clear on that. A good rule of thumb. How does he work? The Holy Spirit always aligns with the words. Always aligns with the words. You could tell me the Spirit's leading you to steal a car, but guess what? I can tell you with absolute clarity and absolute confidence without a shadow of doubt that you are wrong. Why? Because the Word tells me that you're wrong. The Word tells me that the Spirit leads us into the things of Jesus. The Spirit tells me the Spirit leads us and, and, and illuminates and helps us understand the Word better. That's his role. How does he do it? He aligns with the Word every time. When does he come? He comes as a result of pursuing Jesus and the holiness he brings. He doesn't come as a result of you pursuing the Dalai Lama or this or that or whatever else. Oh, I, I was pursuing this strange religion. The Holy Spirit told me it was good. No, it's not the way. The Holy Spirit comes as a result of us see, pursuing Jesus. Why? Because it says, he said, Jesus said it himself. He will come and remind you and show you and teach you of everything I have told you. And someday we'll do a series on this, and I could go on for days. Aren't you glad? I'm not going to. But I could go on for days about how this is how the Spirit leads us and guides us. Number three, what does he do? He encourages, he exhorts with it, which is another word for he, he, he teaches us some things. He clarifies and he challenges Scripture is clear that that's the role of the Spirit. He does those things. He is an encourager, he is a teacher, he is a clarifier, and he is a challenger. Those are what the Spirit does. That's what happens. So if you tell me this today, that the Spirit is, you know, leading you to a, in a certain direction or a certain way, I can know that if you are on, on proper ground based on the Word based on you seeking Jesus and not just some experience that you are being encouraged, you are being taught, you're being clarified, you're being challenged. And then why does he do this? 
always for one reason. He does it to build Jesus' kingdom. Exclusively. Period. End of story. You, you can't say that the Holy Spirit is there to lead you to go buy a brand new BMW because you deserve it because you're a child of God and that's going to help you out somehow. And so you're saying, man, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in time. So I'm going to go buy myself a BMW. I'm going to put it on my credit card. And I'm just going to expect that somehow, some way, God's going to pray for it because I'm his child. That is baloney. Why? That is leading you to your kingdom and it's building your kingdom and your purpose. It's all about you, and that's not how he operates. We so often think in terms of blessing as our own personal benefit, don't we? I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. I want a new car. I want this, and I want that. That's not how it works. That's not the example of Scripture. The example of Scripture is people like Paul, who we'll get into in a minute, when the Spirit's leading him to a place he knows he will suffer. A place he knows things will not be the case. But Paul understood what the role of the Spirit is. The role of the Spirit is to build Jesus' kingdom, bar none. So if you tell me today that you're going to go out and buy a brand new BMW on your credit card, I will say, give me your credit card, I'll buy it myself, and then we'll trust and see if God will, you know, help that, because I want a new car too. And I'll trade it, and I'll buy a new truck. But, but anyway, so that's, that's a, little, a little lesson on the Spirit there this morning. Now, here's another thing we need to mention today too, is that there is one thing the Spirit will not do that sometimes some of us believers believe he is doing, And he will not lead us through condemnation. The word says clearly in in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a believer tell me under a heavy load of condemnation of something that's happened, that the Spirit's leading. You know it's not the Spirit when all you feel and sense is a sense of guilt and condemnation like I can't do this. When God calls you to something, God also equips you to do those things. If you walk in condemnation, you walk in this feeling that, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's impossible, then you are not letting the Spirit lead you and speak to you. You will not have condemnation. That You will have challenge. Believe me, he will challenge you. He will teach you things, and that is sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes difficult but it will not be condemnation. It will not be a place where he says, no way, you can't do this. You can. That's number one right there today. Number two is there will always be tension when following Jesus. Number two lesson that we find in in, in Acts, there will always be tension when following Jesus. The book of Acts is loaded with tension. The book of Acts is loaded with tense moments. Here's a couple examples here. Uh, Number one, religious tension. Uh, Chapter four, uh, Peter and John are arrested because uh, they're before the religious council, beaten and flogged because they are preaching the message of Jesus. It was different than the establishment. There is religious tension. Number two, there's financial tension. In, In Acts four through five, this is where the church is, it feels and is led by God to sell all that they have and give it to the poor. And you say, well, how is that tension? I'm, what if I told you that's what we're going to do as a church? 
Uh, there's tension. I, I can guarantee if I say, sell all you have, give it away, we're all going to do that. We're all going to go live in a, in a commune someplace, and, and you know, you'd be a little bit tense, right? That's the, that's the reality. And so, uh, number three, there's cultural tension. Peter is challenged by God to preach to the Gentiles. I, I love the scripture here, Acts eleven forty four. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, even the Gentiles, and say that, that's where, let's get at the context here, even those savage Gentiles as they would have seen them. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I can't believe that even the Gentiles can experience the Spirit. We know from last week that the reason was is because Jews believed that these Gentile believers still had to go through all the religious rites and ceremonies and all these kind of things to be basically functionally Jewish before they could come to Christ. And Jesus said, and Paul said, no way. It's Christ alone that saves. It's Christ alone that changes us. It's Christ alone that forgives. It is by his grace and his mercy and his power, and that's it. This brought some, some tension. There was, there was doctrinal tension. That's the reason why, is because of what I just talked about. There's doctrinal tension. How much, how Jewish do they have to become? That was the question. There's relational tension. You may not know this, but Paul and Barnabas, who were sent out here, we talked about it in verse chapter 13, not long afterwards, Paul and Barnabas had a very heated argument. And what happened was uh, they had an argument over a young man named John Mark. John Mark had been a, a certain person, had been a man who uh, had, had, had walked away, who had ditched them, basically. And, and Barnabas, and they, you know, they had a question over, should they, we kick him with us? Should we kick him out of, the, of our, our ministry team? What should we do? And Barnabas, being the encourager, said, no, 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 there's still hope for him. We'll take him in. And Paul said, uh-uh, no way, man. Paul was not about that. Paul said, he ditched us, he left us, we're leaving him here. And so they had this argument so much so that they parted ways. It says in Acts chapter 15, so they, they walked away from each other. There is relational tension. Now they reconciled, we're friends again afterwards, but that, that's what happened. There's, there's, there's tension, there's political tension. The entire book of Acts is political tension. It is. They were immersed in a season and in an area and a time of just absolutely incredible political tension. You know, the church was called to upend the entire culture and the way of things. And the church and the politic politics were so completely intertwined and so wrong. And the church upended these things. That's why they were in jail. That's why they were in prison, because of political tension. Because it was not okay by the establishment to be a Christian. There's tension in these, in these places. Why was Saul becoming Paul such a big deal? It's because of the political tension that Saul represented before he came to, came to know Jesus Christ. Now here's why I bring all of these things up. There's a reason. You Wow, that's a lot of stuff right there. Why would you talk about that? This is the reason here. There's a tendency in all of us to quit when it gets difficult, isn't there? There's a tendency in all of us to quit when challenged or when confronted or when there's conflict or there's tension or something else. There's a challenge in all of us. There's a tendency in all of us 
to just turn it, turn it over and turn over in our bed on Sunday morning or turn over in whatever and say, you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm just going to go back to bed, just live my life like normal because I feel tension. That's natural for us. We as human beings will always take the easy way out. We just do. And here's the truth today. There will always be a tension in following Jesus because there's always tension in us between right and wrong, isn't there? Maybe you're better than me. Maybe this morning you don't have any tension in following Christ. Maybe when Jesus comes to you and says, I want you to give and I want you to do this, and I want, you're just like, absolutely, no problems, God. You better believe it. Because that's not how I am. When God challenges me, when God speaks to me, when God, when the Holy Spirit begins to turn things in my life and say, this is the direction I want you to go, it's not always easy. I don't like tension. But you know what? I always grow through tension. The church grew through the tension. The church walked through the tension. You know, you, you want proof this is true? Think of your sweet little, little girl, your sweet little boy. When they get to be two or three years old, what happens? They turn into a not sweet little girl or boy. You know, there, there's, there's fire in their eyes when they take away their toys, you know? There's fire when you, when you confront them on something, you know? There's tension there. Why? Because all of us, from the very moment of our births, all of us struggle and have difficulty through walking like Jesus called us to walk. Jesus calls me to lay down my life. I want to protect it. Jesus calls me to give everything. I want to hold on to it. Jesus calls me to sacrifice. I want the easy way out. There's tension in act because there's tension in all of us. Church, tension will always be there begging you to quit. Paul understood this, and Paul knew how to push through. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And now, this is Paul speaking, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, except I know that the Holy Spirit tells me this, that in that city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. Pause. Okay, imagine that. God calls you to go someplace, and he says, you know what? It's not even going to be a question. You're going to jail. You're going to prison. You're going to struggle. Things are going to be tough. Why? You're walking into tension. You're walking into a difficult time, a difficult thing. But yet, Paul says, this is the secret to his success right here, the secret sauce right here, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Why could Paul walk through tension? Why was the, these men and these women of Acts able to walk through tension? Because they understood something about the Christian life. I think a lot of us, as Western believers, as Western Christians, have a hard time grasping. My life is nothing to me. Paul was a dead man walking, he said. Paul described himself as that. I'm a dead man walking. Paul knew who he was before Christ. Paul knew what he was capable of. Paul knew that deep down inside of him there was things that were not good. And Paul knew that, as, that through Christ and through his power and through the Holy Spirit, he was changed. He was different. And he didn't, God didn't owe him anything. But Paul said, I owe God my life. It's gone. It's given. It's, it's his. I don't care. Take it all. It's, it's yours, Lord. Paul was a dead man walking. 
It's a whole lot easier to walk like Christ, to walk through tension. It's a whole lot easier to walk under the power of the Holy Spirit when I see my life not as unvaluable. That's not the case here. It's not as, it's valuable, but it's valuable as a testimony, as a witness to what the next thing was that these folks believed in with all their hearts. See, number three, everything was centered on one thing. Everything was centered on the gospel. Even there in that, that passage as the band comes up to play this morning, we find the same thing right there. We find Paul who's challenged, and Paul who knew what he's walking himself into, but Paul who said, it's okay, my life's worth nothing to me because my life is called to tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. That's why I exist. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Think about your life. See, we can sometimes think that what the scripture is telling us, that if I'm not a monk living in an adversary, if I'm not a nun living in some nunnery, I don't know what they call them, but if I'm not this person like that, then I'm not dedicated to Christ, and that if I don't do this and do that, then that's it. And that's not the truth this morning. You can live your life as a person in modern-day America and still say, I am dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ. I'm a dead man, I'm a dead woman walking. I am centered my life on one thing, the gospel. I don't make an assumption that we're on the same page. What's the gospel? The gospel, and keep your heads bowed, eyes closed, the gospel is... Jesus' answer to, to, to man's most deepest problem, what do I do about my sin? You think of the worst person in your life, the person you find is the most unreachable, the person that you find is the absolute most biggest, most baddest person that you can possibly imagine, and their question is the exact same question, what do I do about my sin? Why do you think people drink like they do? Why do people carry on like they do? Why do they do that? We're trying to medicate away a problem that's pretty simple. I am sinful. I am not making it on my own. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I see that. There's brokenness in me. There's brokenness in every single person that we meet. You and me, we're broken. God answered that question. God answered that deal when he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to give us hope, to give us the possibility that it doesn't have to end that way. That's the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, it says right here, it says, what, here's what's important, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Everything for these folks was about the gospel all of the time. They lived as people who were led by the key, the Holy Spirit. They were not afraid of tension. They were not afraid of challenge. They understood that, man, what the whole reason God sent us here was to deal with and to, and to confront the tension that sin brings. That's it. And we have the answer. We are centered our lives on the gospel that Jesus Christ saves, that he delivers, that we are saved by grace through faith. An example is Acts 16. 
It's called the Macedonian call. And in that scripture, there's a man, that, Paul's a vision of a man who's praying and saying, who will come? Who will speak to me? It says, man, who will come and help us find this out? There is, we don't have hope. We need it. Who will come? And that's when Paul and Barnabas, and that's when these men said, we have to go because people need to hear the gospel. That's it. There's one thing that's clear in the Acts. They're focused on people hearing and preaching and finding Jesus. In church this morning, the baton is now in our hands. The baton is now in your hands. Baton rests firmly in your grip this morning. Jesus started the call in Matthew 28, 19-20. Go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. He handed the baton far before you and I were even a dream in our mom and dad's eyes. Handed the baton to Paul, to Barnabas, to Peter, to St. Luke, to all of these men who took the baton who lived with the spirits, who lived embracing the tension, who lived with the gospel. They took it, they handed it off to now Acts 29, which is you and which is me. What are we going to do with that baton? Stand up if you would this morning. I'll cross this room. Yes, we are finishing this series. Will you continue to hear the same thing over and over again? Probably not. This is the final call in this church. Many heads bowed, still eyes closed. Just, let's just have some time with God today. I've talked to many of you this week and this last month, and God is stirring hearts within this church. Because the message I preached week in and week out is a very similar message. Because Acts is always, always, always been about one thing, the call of you and I to go and make disciples. My question for you today is, is this, is, is, is are you willing? Will you go? Will you be led by the Spirit? That's, that's the thing. Will you be led by the Spirit? You may sense the call in your life. You may sense God's called you. You may still feel like, like you are a potential waiting to happen. I want to encourage you, if that's you, to say, Jesus Holy Spirit, I, want, I need you to fill me. I need you to minister in me. I need you to challenge me. I want to encourage you, if, if, if you've not prayed the, the, for, for the gift of tongues, I want to encourage you, just begin to pray for that. Say, God, I want that. Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Number two, maybe today you're here and you say, I'm filled with the Spirit, but man, I am telling you, when it's difficult, when things are tough, I, it's hard for me to break through that. That might be you this morning as well. I want to encourage you to embrace, embrace, embrace what God, the, the, the tension that sin has brought in our lives and embrace that. Embrace it in your own life and say, God, I will always respond with obedience to you. I'll do what you want me to do. Maybe you're here today and you, you're walking through those two things. And I want to ch- challenge you to say, God, I'm committed. I'm committed to your gospel. That people would find you and people would follow you, Jesus. My neighbors, my friends, my co-workers, my family, all of them are in the same position. They need to hear, respond to that message.